But I'm sure somebody took notes on it. Like Scott, he always, you got notes, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, today we're supposed to cover chapter three and kind of get through all of it. We're not going to have time to get through all of it, um, but we'll, I'll try and touch on some of the main things um, from this chapter. Um, but this is an important chapter. Um, it's dealing with data acquisition, which is how we acquire data. Uh, there's different ways, different methods, different reasons why we use those different methods. So we want to make sure that we understand that and that we're doing things the correct way so that, you know, um, we're not trying to acquire data, but doing it the wrong way and actually messing up the data um, and it not being useful for us. All right. So that's what this basically this whole chapter is about data acquisition, how we acquire the data. Um, so the objectives are there. Um, so uh, the main thing to understand, too, is there are two types of data acquisitions. There's a live acquisition, and then there's a static acquisition. Right? So a live is on a live machine, a machine that's currently on and running, versus static, which is a machine that's off, that's not currently on and running. Right? Um, so data uh, in a forensic acquisition tool is stored as an image file, which you guys are, should be kind of used to now, um, having those images. As far as our lab assignments, that's what we've been doing. I've been giving you guys images, and you guys have been going through those, kind of looking for um, data, pictures, things like that. All right, um, three formats as far as the image, images are concerned. There's a raw format, which is kind of the most common. It's kind of a standard one. Uh, we also have the proprietary, which are like certain vendors have kind of their own format that they have their images in. So if you're using like a, um, so if you're using like FTK, it might have its own um, format for their images, right? Which uh, we'll kind of get into like kind of the good things and bad things about those. What's FTK? Forensic Toolkit. Um, it's a program used um, to kind of forensic for forensic. Um, we have like a free version, a light version that we kind of play with a little bit, um, but not the full, full version. And then we have the advanced forensic format, which is kind of a newer one um, that was developed to kind of be specifically for forensics um, to be able to make that, that process easier. All right, so these are the three formats we're going to be dealing with. Raw format, like I said, is the most common one, proprietary. Um, based off of the vendors, and then we have the advanced forensic, which is kind of the newer one um, that, you know, some people are embracing, some are not. But it's like open source also. So it's designed to, you know, for people to add to it to make it better um, because it's open source. <clears throat> so first we're going to deal with the raw format. Um, so it makes it possible to write bitstream data to files. Some of the advantages is the fast data transfer. Uh, with raw format, you gotta understand it's a straight bit to bit kind of copy. So everything that's on one image is going straight to another image. Um, so it does work fast. Um, it ignores minor data read errors. So if there's like errors that are on the original uh, disk, it will kind of ignore those and continue to copy instead of not being able to uh, get a good image because of these error messages that are coming up. Um, so be able to ignore those and you're still able to get a good image. Um, and then most forensic tools can read raw format. 
it was, it, I'm, I'm under the impression that a big copy will even copy the bad sector, so <coughs> to actually get an exact copy, I mean, that's the kind of big copiers that I use. Yes, if it can, though. But, like, if there is any errors that won't allow it to, <coughs> it will ignore it and still copy everything that it can. Although it should copy everything, there are some times when there's just <coughs> problems, errors that occur, and it will just kind of ignore it and continue to copy everything else. Um, and like I said, the third thing is the tool can be read by most, most software, most um, things that you're going to be using can all read a raw format. So it's kind of like almost universal, which is why it's kind of used the most. Um, because every program that you use pretty much is going to be able to read a raw image um, to be able to do your investigation that way. All right. And then some of the disadvantages is it requires as much storage as original disk. So meaning, if you're trying to create an image of a drive that is 8 terabytes, you need 8 terabytes of space to be able to store that image. Right? So that's kind of like one disadvantage from that. Like you can't compress it, you can't make it smaller to be able to have more images or have more room, more space. Um, however you know, much space you're trying to copy, that's how much space you need. Um, and so it's not really bad when it comes to like users. When you start thinking about like companies and businesses, like they have a lot of data, they have a lot of storage. And if you're trying to create a bit-to-bit -bit copy of it, like you have to have that same amount of space to be able to get that image. Um, so these are some of the things with the raw format. Um, advantages, disadvantages from there. Proprietary. Um, so most forensic tools have their own formats. Um, so some of the features offered, option to compress or not compress image files which for some people that is like gold to them, to be able to compress the image file, um, make it smaller, so that you can better you know, store it, better um, use it. The one thing you have to remember with compression though is you always wanna run the hash values before you compress and after you compress. Because if you compress, you wanna know that it's the same image. You wanna know that nothing changes. Because some compression will actually delete data. It, it'll be ins insignificant data that doesn't really matter in that sense, but because it's deleting data, it's gonna give you a whole different hash value. So just to always double check and kind of be in the habit, you always want to run the hash uh, before you compress and then after you compress to make sure that nothing changes. If something does change, what would you, if, had, if the hash values do change, what would you do? Just like not have the So you just software. can't compress. Um, or you try different software. Because um, some softwares, automatically will kind of change it based off of their compression, but then others won't. Um, so you can either try another software or just not compress. Um, it's kind of like the two options there. Um, but like I said, if it does work, then that's great because like I said, it saves you space, saves you time, um, and it's easier to, I'd say, transfer or like when creating a copy of it, right? Because anything you're working on, you want to create a backup of, right? So trying to create a backup of, you know, eight terabytes, uncompressed, if you want two or three copies, like, it's going to be a while, you know? Um, so, but if you're able to compress it, it makes the process a whole lot easier. Um, also, you can split an image into smaller segmented files, which is another kind of nice thing. So you can take one image, and instead of it being like a whole image, you can break it up. So you can have like, you know, one part here, two terabytes here, two terabytes there, and kind of break things up so it's not just one full kind of big file. So that's also kind of nice um, when dealing with images. Um, 
So it's kind of better to sometimes deal with things like in, in chunks or in pieces um, versus just handling like kind of this one big um, investigation or this one big image file, right? So it kind of eases your mind a little bit, just working in smaller kind of segments than working with this kind of big, big file itself. Um, and then uh, it can integrate metadata into the image file. So what is metadata? Information so information about the file, right? Um, so a lot of images, like you don't have that metadata necessarily, but if you're using a proprietary one, it will, some, most of them will be able to include that metadata. So you get information about uh, the file itself, about the image, um, which can be valuable for cases um, and investigations. So definitely if you can get that, you definitely want that just because it, it helps. Um, as far as like the details, like when it was created, modified, that kind of that type of stuff, yeah, definitely you can get that. Um, yeah, do you guys realize like the metadata that gets sent with like messages and emails and things like that? No. No. Okay. I know um, pictures and stuff. Mm -hmm. Pictures too, video. Um, there's a couple apps that we'll we'll kind of talk about later that I kind of use sometimes, um, but they're like forensic investigator type apps, like on the iPhone. Um, so like pictures, videos, um, messages, things like that. Um, it's able to extract the metadata, um, look at like, you know, when they actually were created. Um, if your like, location is on, when you take a picture and you send it, like through the app, I can see that exact location. Um, it, it's pretty cool. Um, I use it sometimes when students like, send me messages and stuff like that, um, like saying why they can't make it to class, and they send like, a picture like, you know, I'm here or I'm there. And I'll just check to see when that picture was actually taken, you know. Because um, if their dates are off, if it was taken last year, then it's like, okay. Um, I can, I'm, not, I'm just practicing, that's all. I'm just practicing, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like a lot of metadata comes with information that a lot of people don't even know about. Um, they're just thinking they're sending a picture, sending you know, information. Um, so definitely metadata helps. Um, gives you more information about the file uh, that you're working on. Uh, some of the disadvantages from proprietary, from kind of the vendor-specific software and images are inability to share image between different tools. So if you created an image, let's say using Autopsy, um, and you wanted to share it and work on this in, let's say, OS Forensics, um, sometimes those two programs don't get along well, and you're not able to use that same image in another program. So sometimes you're kind of stuck using one program, which can be bad, but then if you're you know, good at it or okay with it, then you know, it, it kind of works itself out. Um, but some programs have different features, so you might just want to take that image and do one thing in another program. But if they can't, if that format is not accepted in that other program, then you're kind of stuck. You know? um, so that's kind of a downside to that. Um, has a file size limitation for the segment and volume. So if you're trying to break things up, there is a limit as far as how you can break it up. Um, so that can be another disadvantage. Um, and it talks about the compression format is kind of an unofficial standard. Like it's not really technically a standard for compression and uncompression, um, uncompressed files, images. Um, so basically what you have to do is like I say, you run the hash before you compress and after you compress. So that way they can't really say, well, you compressed it and you changed it. This is not the original file. If you have the hash values to show that, then, you know, you're okay. Um, but technically, like, by law, there's no standard 
dealing with compression. All right, and the last one, advanced forensic format. Uh, and this was developed by Garfinkel, um, open source acquisition formats. And like I say, the design was to basically have everything um, that other programs, other image types were missing. Um, so this is like strictly for forensics, um, strictly to be able to do the things that you would normally want to do, but programs may not have. Um, so he provided compressed or uncompressed image file, like, you know, you put that option in there. There's no size restrictions to trying to copy something to an image file. Um, what else? Uh, sensible design with extensibility. So like I say, it's open source so that if there's something that I think of that I would actually like want added to this program, if I know how to do it, if I know how to write that program, I can add it and be kind of add that part or that, you know, um, add that tool inside of this program, which is kind of nice. It's like open up for everybody to be able to add to it. Um, and then it works on multiple plat platforms, OS, operating systems. Um, also includes the metadata. Um, and like I say, it's open source, so it's free. It doesn't cost anything, which is, like I say, nice. Um, so those are the three different types of forensics images formats. All right. What was the first one? Raw. 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 What was the second one? Proprietary. And third one? Advanced forensic format. All right. Um, okay, so the next part talks about kind of the acquiring method of how you're actually acquiring this data. Um, so there are four, four methods, four modes of collecting the data. Um, creating a disk to image file is what we've been doing. All right. Um, kind of copying um, from a computer, from a disk, and creating that image file, and that's what we've been working on. Um, that's the most common one. Um, in most investigations, that will be what you do. You create a copy from that computer, from that device, and then you would have the image file to work with after you make copies on that. So that's the most common one that's used in most cases. Um, uh, the second one is creating a disk to disk. So that, in some rare cases where you're not able to create a disk to image, you would do a disk to disk. So where it's going from basically kind of one device to another device. And then from there, maybe you can create your, your image. Um, but that's, like I say, not typically uh, what you would use, uh, create a disk to disk, but typically it would be a disk to image file. Um, the third one is creating a logical disk to disk or disk to data file. You guys know what a logical disk to disk is? So what? I can look it up for a second. Oh, no, I, mean, I just thought you guys maybe knew off the top. Got to guess. Uh, logical will just copy all the files, not necessarily everything that's on the disk. So if there's deleted things, it won't copy them, just whatever's on the master file table. Definitely. Um, so the way logical works is like you're not copying the full image itself. You're, you're able to choose just like a section or just a certain type of file. It just depends on what you're looking for, right? So if you're working on an a email case, like you don't need everything. You don't, all you need is the emails, because that's what you want to be able to look at and look through. So it's logical in that sense of where you don't have to copy the full disk itself, but you can get like if you know something's on the C drive and that's all you want, you can just copy the C drive and create an image of that. Um, or like I say, if it's certain, something 
specific you're looking for, you can just get that information and not the whole disc. All right, so that definitely comes into play. Um, and that's more, more so the case when you're doing um, like investigation for a company because you're not gonna copy their full um, image of their full system most of the time because you're looking for something specific. So that's kind of what you're gonna be searching for, getting a logical distant image uh, for whatever it is that you're looking for. So that's what's gonna happen in most cases working um, in businesses trying to do your investigation that way. And then the last one is creating a sparse data copy of file or folder. All right, so that's kind of similar to logical, except the sparse copy grabs unallocated space. So things that have been deleted, things that um, don't ordinarily show up, the sparse is going to be able to grab that data. All right. um, but like the, those two are kind of similar, except like I say, sparse is going to grab unallocated space data versus logical, which doesn't. It only gets like kind of that logical drive or logical files or whatever it is you're looking for. All right. Those four make sense? Just a question before we move on. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it just be logical to get the, uh, an exact duplicate of the drive from the jump street? If it's possible, yes. If it's possible, yes. That is the, the maybe the better route to go, just to try and get everything so that you don't have to worry about you know, missing something or anything like that. Um, well, like I say, in some cases, it's not always possible. Um, depending on, like I say, how much data it is you're actually trying to get, um, it may not be possible to just get that full um, bit-to-bit copy. So it really just depends. But ideally, yes, you would just want that distant image copy of everything so that you can kind of look through it yourself and determine you know, what you need to look at or what you don't. Any other, any other questions? No? Okay. Um, so it talks about determining the best method. Um, I kind of just said that. Um, so uh, creating a disk to disk, like I said, is the most common method offers the most flexibility because you have everything. Right. So once you have everything, then you can determine what you need to look at, what's important, what you're looking for. Um, but definitely it gives you that flexibility. Um, and then you can make more than one copy. Copies are bit-to-bit -bit replications, compatible with many commercial forensic tools. All right. um, the disk-to-disk, um, when you're getting disk image copy, is not possible. Um, you can use some tools, um, such as N-Case and X-Ways, to get that disk-to-disk. Um, like I said, it's not the most common, um, but it is one way that people extract and, and get data and get an image for. And then we talked about the sparse and the logical, which can take several hours, um, using your time is limited. Um, so like I said, if you're working uh, a case and like I said, you don't have all day to create this uh, image file, but you only have like a certain amount of hours, that's when it makes sense to just, okay, let me get this logical drive here, or let me get these files, and then I'll kind of look through it later. Um, so like I say, that might be the case sometimes, depending on um, the scenario. Uh, there's actually a, there's an assignment in the book, and we're not gonna do it, but it's just one of the, the case projects where it's like, uh, that's the question. And say you're in the back room of an investigation, 
and you're creating a copy, um, you're creating an image of the person's, the suspect's drive. Um, and then a fire breaks out in the living room. Like, what do you do? You take the computer? Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't do that. <laughs> Put out the fire? Put out the fire? I, no, that's not, no, I'm not a fireman. <laughs> I'm not a fireman. Okay. But you, you would take the computer? I'd take the computer. Okay. I sure would. Okay. Callum, what would you do? Take the computer. Take the computer? Of course. Okay. Dave? So you're where? You're in the back back room. Fire breaks out in the front room. Back room of what? Uh, The suspect's house. Oh. Do you have a warrant? Like, what is... Yeah, are you allowed to be there? You're allowed to be there. You're allowed to be there. So I'm scared. Just don't do what I'm saying. Huh? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Dave, what is it? Yeah, can't you just take the whole computer? That's what you would do? Yeah. You take the computer? Well, it doesn't uh, seem like it'd be legal, so... Yeah, that's yeah, my question, yeah. is can you legally take the... Yeah. Computer? Well, that's, that's another... Why serving a warrant? Yeah, are you protecting that they just like to turn on the computer? Is that legal inside the warrant? That's a good question. That, that is a good I'm going to give you an answer to the question. I'm thinking that you can. Because I've seen computers already that, you know, that I've bought, you know, over time, that were evidence, you know, that they sell off. Okay, they have they still have the yellow evidence tape wrapped around them. Okay? Yeah. yeah. I got one in my shop right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. Did you take off it? Well, I I took it off, of course. But you can see it because it you know, it imprints on the top that it's, you know, evidence. Sheriff's evidence, you know, when you take it off, that stays on there. You gotta spend some time on it to get it off. Gotcha. Okay, okay. Uh Ken, what would you do? Take the computer. Take the computer. Nate? I'll just leave. <laughs> probably leave? Yeah, I'm good. This okay. guy gets off free. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the kind of moral drive you need. <laughs> uh, Andrew? Is it a laptop or is this just like an actual like home desktop? Is that a. Uh, it's a towel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's a big mid size or a small size. I can break it and just take it off the floor and just take the internals out. So you would break you it. You have time? I would be one of the police people out. that actually like in shape, make them get the computer, and then I leave. Okay. I mean, the book doesn't specify like all the specifics of the fire. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's more so focused on like, what are you going to do? Um, Okay. Uh, Daniel, what'd you do? Okay. Okay. Um, Monica. <laughs> What? How old is it? Okay, I got you, Mike. The average wild or like 
house fire went from like you used to have like 15 minutes to 20 minutes to get out and now it's down to like five I mean, yeah. house old house. so like with all the new stuff where you have like rugs and all the different things on the windows like mm -hmm. those things catch fire easier so you have less time to actually get out a signal plus they produce a lot more smoke which does more damage than the actual fire gotcha <laughs> okay um let, let's let's keep going let's, let's scott I just don't know. In the scenario, I won't be taking the whole computer. It's bolted to the computer. Even longer, of course. Well, yeah. I'm not taking the monitor. I'm not taking the keyboard, the monitor, and any of that. I mean, if it's expensive, I'll have to do it for myself. Okay. Um, Marvin. Take the computer. Marvin. Wait, is anybody on it, 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 this is in my own house, right? No, no, it's a suspect's house. Suspect. Yeah. And it's on fire. There's a fire, yes. No, no, suspect is in custody. Suspect is in custody. I just get out because my, my safety comes first. Is that the Got you. Okay, okay. I bet you by your life, definitely. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. Connor, what would you do? Well, I still don't know if like, if serving the warrant specifies like any data involved in that computer, and I can justify taking that computer because the fire would destroy evidence, then I take the computer. If not, I don't have time. It's more valuable for me to go and serve other cases and do more good, so I leave. Wait. So you say. If if the warrant is in such a way where I can justify taking the computer mm -hmm. to preserve evidence, <clears throat> then I take the computer. If not, I leave. I gather my equipment if I have time. And I leave. So is there ever a case where you can take evidence to preserve it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. sure. But do they have the do they, do they have the the right? Can you legally do that and then use that in court? It depends on how because like some warrants it, it's just collecting data. It's not you don't actually have the right to take anything as data. So depending on what the warrant says, if it's collection or like documentation. Right. Okay. If it's collection, computer's mine. If not, I can't. Yeah. Definitely. If it's not going to be useful in court anyways, then I just have to do paperwork and get rid of that. Gotcha. Let's go here and there. I'll, I'll get you, Martin. Uh, Derek, what are you going to say? It goes basically off the items that's on the warrant that's listed to be seized. It's not on that list to be seized. You can't take it out because if you take it, you won't be able to use it. But it has to be this on your board game. But if the files are on the computer and the computer is about to be destroyed and the files are on the warrant. Well, I say, does, but legally, does it give you the right to be able to, to take something because of it might being destroyed? The warrant says you go and look at it, but you can't seize it. You see what I'm saying? Anybody has to come in and check it, but it can't be seized. You know, they do have stuff like that. They bring somebody in, a specialist in, look at your stuff. No, no. I am thinking, you know, I am thinking that they're getting smart about this kind of stuff so that when they write these warrants, 
they're, you know, getting specific, say, yes, you know, let's go get that. But it, has to, it still has to be reasonable to the magistrate for the assignment. So yeah, but they're getting those kind of warrants. Okay, so let's go with, with Martin and then Monica had her hand up. Uh, Martin, what were you going to say? Well, uh, it depends because, like, this is not, this is completely unrelated, but I remember when I was in high school, they talked they talk about a case where, like, you know, these law enforcement, they went to the wrong house and they felt drunk, but then here's the thing, they followed the good faith rule behind the warrant. So if it wasn't applying to the house, they started able, able to incriminate this person with because they followed the good faith. So it really depends on, you know, if you follow the protocol. Because if you're actually following it, then you're not doing anything wrong from the get-go. So in this situation, the evidence was bad. The evidence of, you know, the drug, it, it brought versus help, but, but, it's, but it's still worked for them because they still follow the rules, protocols. They're not doing a bad thing necessarily. Gotcha. Yeah. I get that. I so get that. when it comes to that, it's a bit tricky. Yeah. There are extenuating circumstances. That's, that's all I'm saying. Definitely. I get that. I get that. I get that. Monica, what were you going to say? So the only other thing that I, okay. I can say is how much do you pay your lawyer whether or not it's going to be any good or not? If you didn't pay your lawyer much, then it's probably going to be admitted as evidence. Oh, you got to do a So, so, so here's. Here's the thing to kind of here's the thing to kind of think about, right? Um, if you were there to seize a computer, like you wouldn't be creating an image there anyway. You would just go and collect the computer, right? But because you're there collecting evidence, like it's not necessarily for you to take things upon yourself you would have to have that in writing to be able to take something. Um, because you're, the warrants are specific as far as what you're doing, what you're there for, and what you can do. Um, so if it's on there that you can seize and copy, the, then yeah, that's fine. But in most cases, if you're collecting an image on the scene, you're just trying to get that data, that information, which may not give you the right to be able to take something with you, like leaving that that place, leaving that suspect's house or apartment. Does that make sense? In other words, how much you pay your lawyer to look into how specific that warrant can be. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it, it comes down to it. But like I say, ideally, like, there's, there's things that go on that you have to make sure that they're in line first before you can do that. Regardless, that's what I was saying. Like, it don't matter if you're there to work on it or get the information off of it. But if you take that computer away from that premises, it's not on that warrant. It ain't going to be in court anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and then it falls under chain of custody, right? Yeah. Um, well, what happened between the computer going from here to there, right? Um, Connor, you're going to... Was the answer to run a parts acquisition because we have limited time? Um, I guess it could be if you, you know, risk taker, you want to... Um, kind of chance to put your life on the line against a fire? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I just need the C drive. <laughs> um, 
But no, it's like, it's not a really a, a, not technically like a right, wrong. I mean, there is, yeah, but you just kind of want to think about everything that, that you're doing um, and make sure that you're following the way that you're supposed to do it. Um, um, so, uh, where are we at? Yeah, so this kind of use example of PST, OST, or mail files, like Outlook files. Um, and we'll, we'll do a whole chapter kind of doing Outlook, um, investigating, kind of going through emails and things like that, because that's another big part of investigations, um, email, because email is a primary way that people communicate, right? So we want to be able to kind of understand and see, you know, what took place, what was going on, the messages that were sent, um, so that we can put things together. Um, so, um, let me see, let me see. Right here, 620. Okay, my clock's a little fast. Okay, um, so when making a copy, consider size of source disk, um, lossless compression. You guys know the difference between lossless and loss E compression? All right. So lossless is supposed to not change. It's supposed to be the same, but just compressing the file. Loss C compression basically gets rid of like kind of unnecessary bits. And so that changes the image itself, all right? So those are kind of the two different types of compression, lossless and lossy compression. Um, so you'll hear about it more when we start talking about graphics and things like that, because that's what's commonly kind of compressed. Um, and it gets rid of, like say, bits. So each time you compress, it like kind of gets rid of bits that are that are not noticeable or anything like that. But each time it kind of gets rid of bits that are insignificant, that don't really matter. Um, to make that file smaller um, versus lossless, which kind of takes that whole image and just makes it smaller without getting rid of anything. Um, uh, use digital signatures for verification, working larger drives, turn using lossless. Um, yeah, so those are basic kind of things to consider. Um, one of the things that it talks about um, is the host protected area. You guys know what that is? HPA? Mm-hmm. MBA. MBA. Okay. Isn't that the host protected area? And it's, yeah, yeah. Pretty much the same. Um, so the host protected area is the area that's like kind of cut off. Um, and so you have some programs that when you're creating the image, it will actually not grab that data. Um, which is good data that you actually want, because that tells you a lot about the drive, the image that you're creating, um, that you're trying to grab from the suspect. Um, it tells you a lot about things that are not necessarily seen. Um, those are things behind the scenes uh, that kind of go on. It tells you, you know, the actual size of the, of the drive that you're working on, um, all that data. Because you guys know that people, smart people who are trying to like hide data and information, they create partitions and then they hide them. Like they throw data in there and then they hide it. And if you're just looking for it, like through just creating an image, like you won't see it. But if you have the host protected area and it's telling you like there's four partitions, uh, four different drives on this image and you only see three, then that kind of lets you know like you're missing something, right? So data like that is definitely important, definitely gives you, um, in a sense, kind of like more metadata about the file, the image that you're looking at. Um, so that's definitely something that you would want to know and want to grab if you can. 
Um, one of the programs for sure that uh, we'll kind of play with and use that grabs the host protected area is OS Forensics. So if you create an image using OS Forensics, it's going to grab that host protected area and you'll get that information along with the image. Um, but that's definitely something you want to, you should know beforehand, whatever software you're using, if it's going to grab that, that data or that information or not. All right. That's something like I say, you wouldn't want to miss that. You want to know that information. Um, and then it talks about being prepared with encrypted drives. All right. You guys know what encryption is, right? We talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Windows has a feature uh, using BitLocker where the whole disk is basically encrypted. All right. So that would mean that you would need to decrypt it in order to look at the information and see what's there. Um, which is kind of like a big problem because you can have the image, but if it's not decrypted so that you can understand it, then that does you no good, right? Um, so that's just something you have to deal with. Um, it may require a user to provide you with a decryption key. Nine times out of ten, nobody's going to give you information to put them in jail. Um, so you can't count on a person giving you a passcode to see everything that they're doing wrong or illegally. All right, so that will require you know, more software to be able to decrypt that uh, to be able to gain access to the image itself. Um, so that's just something, like I say, you'll have to deal with as an investigator. It may not always be so easy and in plain text as we would want it to be. Um, we may have to go through some, some loops and some holes. Um, uh, so let me see. About four minutes. Um, let me see. One of the things I wanted to. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to, to kind of talk about, mention real quick, was just the uh, acquiring um, with the DD and Linux, which is a command, like command line, kind of how we were doing the first couple weeks of semester, kind of learning internet and commands. Um, so the DD is a common command that's used to create. Um, and get kind of files, get information um, to copy a file, like bit to bit, you can use like the DD command, which stands for data dump. Um, so you're taking the data and kind of dumping it in another place or on another device um, to create that image. Um, so some of the, the shortcomings of DD is it requires more advanced skills than average users, so you have to actually know command line in order to use it, versus just kind of using autopsy, which is a GUI. You can just go click and create an image that way, which is a lot easier. Um, but the DD, um, you would have to kind of know those skills. And also, it does not compress the data, so that's kind of another thing. Um, and so, based off of that DD command, they ended up creating this other command, which is specifically for like forensic, which is the DDFLDD, um, DCFLDD command in Linux. So, that one is strictly for uh, forensics. Um, so it has a lot of features, a lot of things that the DD command doesn't have because the DD is just, was typically kind of structured for just data. It wasn't built for forensics. It was just to copy data and dump it in other places. But then it became, you know, started to be used in forensics and people use it as a tool to be able to create images. Um, but then they came out with the DCFLDD command, um, which is like I say, strictly built for um, creating images and copying images. Um, and so you're able to specify the hex patterns or text for clearing disk space. 
Um, you can see log errors. Um, you can use several hashing options, so you can get like the hash values um, using the MD5, uh, the SHA-1, SHA-512, whatever strength you're using. Um, and you can split the data acquisition into like kind of separate volumes, so you can take it and kind of break it up yourself into different little chunks and pieces, um, which makes it, like say, more easier to kind of manipulate and play with. And then the, you can verify the data with the original disk or media data itself. So you can kind of verify it, like say, with those hash values. Um, but that's the command that you should um, not necessarily know how to use it, but you should understand what it is and how it's used. Um, so that's a strictly for forensic creating, um, creating an acquisition, creating an uh, uh, image um, using that command. So that's the DCFLDD. Um, so that's pretty much all the time we have. Uh, so you guys want to make sure you read the rest of this chapter um, to get a better understanding of everything at the end. Um, so we'll head across the hall. Uh, we'll take our quiz first, and then we'll get started with our lab assignment. What's up, pop? Pop, no, no, it was. You sold this one, right? Yeah. Oh, you weren't here. <laughs> <laughs> so why you mentioned it?